Yeah. Uh, coincidence. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, All right. Yeah. Anyway, let's do it. Uh, hello and welcome to the Watcher's Guide to the Marvel Universe, the show everyone I know calls, okay, Get we get it, you have a fucking podcast, shut the fuck up already. I'm Max. And I'm JR. How's it going? Oh, it's going. Cool. Uh, yep. The, the week continued. There was yeah. time. And it moved in a general direction. Fairly the yeah. same rate. Yeah. I, uh... I'm not gonna lie. I had some highs and lows. Uh, on the one hand, I made a senator leave his office with an escort. So that was a win. Sure. Uh, yeah. On the other, they're closing Mad Magazine. Like... Right. What the fuck? <laughs> right. You know, because I was it's, seeing something. Somebody, somebody was saying that they have like consistently like a hundred and forty thousand issues sold a month. In comics, that's insanely successful. So I right. don't know. I don't know what it is that. Yeah, I don't know what prompted that, but. I uh I I saw a lot of like conspiracy theories that were they'd been trying to do this forever because yeah, they do print that many, but that printing that many caught or selling that they sell that many, but they have to print more and it costs so much and blah 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 and Warner's has been trying to play down the floppies forever and now that they're owned by AT&T, if you go even further up, they give less of a shit. And, like, but it still sucks. Like, even if you do all this conspiracy theory bullshit, it's, it still sucks. Well, I don't, I don't understand, like, the whole, like, moving away from floppies thing. Okay, sure. But, like, that doesn't explain why you wouldn't go digital only. Like... If anything, yeah, closing the house entirely or... is weird. Right. Go ahead. And plus, they're going to reprints, which means they're still going to be putting out... Yeah, that's true. I'm dumb. ...issues. Like, so, the whole idea of, well, they have to print so many... Like, they're still printing them. Uh, I don't know. I just... There's not a lot about it that makes sense to me. Because, sure, okay... You know, if you can't justify the cost of doing a monthly in print every month, go digital only. That means you literally have to create a single file and then just make it available to everybody. Um, Yeah. And you can still continue having, uh, you know, I mean, don't get get me wrong. Mad Magazine is one of those things. It's like Saturday Night Live in that... It's been going for long enough that there were peaks and troughs. Not every issue of Mad Magazine was 100% comedy gold every time. But, like, goddamn. Like, yeah, it's been going for 67 goddamn years. So, 
I don't know. I I'm still just really angry about the whole thing. Yeah. I, and yeah, it was. I I saw because the first the first whiff I got of it is I follow Evan Evan Dworkin, who does who did uh, Milk and Cheese, and uh, now does uh, Beasts of Burden. Mm-hmm. And he he has done some work for them, and he got an email saying, "Yeah, we're we're shuttering the." the book and it's just like why 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 but whatever I don't know you know Gail Simone was talking about how uh, people had been saying that DC was trying to kill mad um, and she said you know they had they had this guy I Bill Morrison Mm-hmm. that was running it and she's like I know Bill Morrison he is not someone you put in charge if you're trying to tank something mm. um, so I don't know I I don't understand why it was done um, but it was done that's that yeah I was never a giant mad reader but it was nice to know it was there you know I I love Mad Magazine as a kid. Like, if you if you were to look at the the things that were incredibly formative of my sense of humor, it would be like Mad Magazine, the films of Bill Murray, um, you know, yeah, <laughs> stuff like that. Like, it was, uh, it was one of those things that it was incredibly formative in determining like what I found funny and what I, the kind of stuff that I tried. And you know, you had, you had spy versus spy. Yeah. You had Sergio Aragones doing art, uh, in there, you know, just, uh, plus it's like the last vestige of EC and that was that was a tradition that kind of didn't really deserve to uh, get pulled out at the root. I don't know. I just I'm still I'm still processing it. So anyway, uh, let's talk about actual Marvel stuff. <laughs> yeah. So Marvel Zombies is coming back. Uh, hooray! Which I don't. I don't know. I you know for one thing, I was always really annoyed with Marvel Zombies because it kept getting Arthur Soydem work, and I really came to hate him when they kept putting variants out of you know oh it's this book but there's zombies and it's just like. I get it. It's a classic cover, except everybody's rotting. Okay. Hooray. Um, That's not enough also, for it's... me to show up, really. But also, like... Zombies are so... 
just basic at this point. It's it's one of those things that if you don't know what else to do, it's just like, well, what if we took this thing and put zombies in it? Yeah, what else do I do? Well, zombies. I mean, that feels like a thing that... It feels like a thing that video games started, but actually I know that it was comics that have been doing it for way, way, way longer. But, yeah, just do zombies. Okay. I... I feel what's like your comment the there? Of... What's what's your theme? What, yeah, what's, exa- what's your angle? No, zombies. Exactly. Okay. Cool. Exactly because you know when when George Romero was doing zombies, it was you know neither Night of the Living Dead was a commentary. Dawn of the Dead was a commentary like he was actually trying to say something about the world it wasn't just "Uh, what if i put zombies in a thing yeah like you know but now it seems like in the entertainment industry zombies just kind of form like like moss like they they turn off the lights at night and then they come in in the morning and a zombie story has like formed in the middle of the night and it's just like oh well i guess we can shit this oh, out oh man i'm gonna have to get the spackle knife scrape that <laughs> yeah. off Ugh. yeah exactly like yeah um somebody left the fridge open <laughs> yeah and like i you know we were talking about it before i feel like the kind of the high watermark for the marvel zombies series was when it was Marvel Zombies versus Army of Darkness and anywhere you go <laughs> after that is going to be downhill. Well, um yeah. But whatever, Marvel Zombies is back, someone's excited, I'm sure. Um God, I hope so. <laughs> moving on, uh The Punisher. Oh yeah. So uh Punisher number 13 came out. Dipshits and, love to uh, use the Punisher symbol, I'm told. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so apparently what happened was that Frank Castle was escaping some knife fight. He was injured. And these two cops stop him. And he's like, you know, it's a moment of, oh, shit. But then the police officers are like, no, no, we're we're with it. We're... We're part of a group that totally supports what you're doing. Look, we've got a Punisher skull on our car. And uh, and Frank is not happy. And I love this because he, he, uh, he's like, what the hell is this? And the guy says, it's not the whole force. Hell, most of them want you in the ground, but some of us believe in what you do. We're doing whatever we can to take back our streets. And he goes and rips the decal off. And they're like, hey, what are you? And he says, I'll say this once. We're not the same. You took an oath to uphold the law. You help people. I gave all that up a long time ago. You don't do what I do. Nobody does. You boys need a role model. His name is Captain America, and he'd be happy to have you. And uh, so in this in this article I was reading, they they uh, they actually had some quotes from Jerry Conway. Um, that he made back in January or some comments he made back in January 
where he said, it's disturbing whenever I see authority figures embracing Punisher iconography because the Punisher represents a failure of the justice system. He's supposed to indict the collapse of social moral authority and the reality some people can't depend on institutions like the police or the military to act in a just and capable way. If an officer of the law representing the justice system puts a criminal symbol on his police car or shares challenge coins honoring a criminal, he or she is making a very ill-advised statement about their understanding of the law. And uh, that's fucking great. He said he apparently said that um, whenever police or military don the Punisher symbol, they're siding with a criminal and it's comparable to putting a Confederate flag on a government building. Right. Um which fuck yeah jerry conway yeah i was about to say was this conway jesus yeah because i mean you know people people see the the punisher and the the surface the surface reading of it is uh is yay second amendment and that's not the point at all no (laughs) like whatever but I don't know. I I get frustrated because yeah, he is um he is similar to someone like Daredevil in that you know, there's someone who categorically does not believe in the justice system. Otherwise, they wouldn't do what they did. Right. Um so if you are if you are a representative of that system and you're like yay punisher you don't fucking get it nope but whatever uh and then the last thing is marvel continues so <laughs> um after the disastrous uh team up marvel had with uh the that aerospace defense contractor uh, uh was that lockheed a while back do what was that lockheed or boeing no it was uh shit i forget the name of the company yeah but you know it did not go well for them they decided to err on the side of caution and they've now teamed up with axe <laughs> body spray um to create a team of superheroes called the freshman because puns when i think axe body spray i think fresh um now i don't want to say no i think freshman but doused in it like high school freshman literally drowning in axe body spray i don't want to say that every member of this team is going to wind up being a date rapist no wait yeah, yeah, I do want yeah, to say I was, that. Gonna, I was uh, like, yeah, that is what you, yeah, that's what you're saying. Yeah, no, that's totally what I'm getting at. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah, so I don't, I don't know what specifically this is going to involve because there was a trailer uh, on Axe's website, but it didn't really give any indication as to, like, I don't know, are there going to be comics or what? And don't get me wrong. Like Marvel Marvel has a long history of doing tie-in comics with companies. Uh NFL Super Pro, um the uh of course Dazzler, uh 
you know, yeah. this is this is not a new thing by any stretch. Um, but yeah, it's just it's axe. I. It's just a weird. It's weird and not great, but oh well. Yeah, like. Ugh. Anyway, um, I don't know. I'm really torn on the subject of acts sometimes because it's like, uh, it's one of those things that it's almost like you can't win if you're broke and want a cheap cologne because it's like your options are always like stuff like Dracar Noir or Axe Body Spray, and that's synonymous with douchebaggery. So I don't know if there's, like, a a classist connotation to it, necessarily, but Axe stinks. Like, it's it's not that it's cheap, it's that it smells terrible. <laughs> um, and I don't, like, I don't know... So it's, it's a combination of the smell and the fact that Axe's... Axe's marketing and uh naming is always the douchiest thing humanly possible you know so i don't know anyway so date rape coming your way from marvel comics soon uh comics comics uh thor number 241 is written by bill mantlow uh, penciled by John Bashima, inked by Joe Sinnott, colored by Phil Rachelson, and lettered by John Costanza. Um, so, unfortunately, you know, I said last week, I thought I I really like the idea of Odin being one aspect of, like, this single creator entity. Uh, unfortunately, that's not what we're doing here. This is all... Total brainwashing by uh, Osiris and Isis and Horus. Well, it um, seemed to me like it was brainwashing to make him more receptive to the power of Amun Set. Or Amun Ra. And it's... So it's a bit of both. Like, it is the brainwashing thing, but also... He's so powerful, like, Odin, as because of who he is, is so powerful that he can also be Amun-Ra. He can focus the power of Amun-Ra, but he's, I mean, the way this is, is it's very categorically, he is not what they're trying to make him think he is. Well, he never gets um, there. I feel like that's, because Thor's in the way. I'm not not in the right. way physically, like as a psychological block. He never gets all the way there, right? Is the way know. that I was reading it. I uh, that's that's not how I read it. Okay, I I read it as they had just brainwashed him to do what they needed him to do, uh, to act as sort of a lightning rod for the power of Adam Ra. Yeah, and allow them to escape the pyramid so they could fight Set. But, but then they go back whatever. into the pyramid to fight Set. The feeling I got was that maybe the pyramid is ordinarily a conduit that allows them to access this other space, but that because of all this shit, that was cut off 
so they were stuck solely in the pyramid. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, if... If... Take the TARDIS as an example. Like, if something happened that cut off the doors of the TARDIS from the rest of it, and you were left with something the size of a police box. Or just... You know what I'm saying? Or just the control room. Or just the control room. Right. Right. You know, in order to access the rest of it, they have to have Adam Ra's power extant on Earth again, so they hypnotize or into, into doing what they want and blah, blah, blah. But anyway, uh, ultimately what happens is that Osiris, Isis, and Horus are like, look, we need help. This is the only way we could find to do it. Agree to help us and we will release Odin. Yeah, but let's go get this and, done. <laughs> well, then yeah. that's my, that's what Thor ends up saying is like, okay, fine let's go do this shit now then let's go and right. even even jane's a little like hey hun uh slow down and he's like no well, let's go because you know and his thing is that he's he's under the impression that if they don't go do this fucking right now so they can get odin back to asgard as soon as possible then you know who knows what the fuck's gonna happen to asgard because everybody's lethargic right now and fair uh, I actually am with Thor on this and then they try to right. have a pity party the the Egyptian gods try to have be like look the earth is beset by death and also the sky is having the life force drained from her and oh god the armies of death is coming well and that's that's the thing I kind of like is that Thor's like, what's happening in Asgard is bad, but if we don't deal with this, it's going to become a problem for everybody. Yeah. So let's do it. Let's get it done. And let's get Odin back where he needs to be. Right. Um, so they do. And Jane, Jane is just like, I'm coming with you. And Thor's like, no, honey. And she's like, no, I'm coming. Um, He's like, well rad let's do this yeah and uh so they make their way along this not rainbow bridge mind you but a bridge a golden um, road Dis a golden bridge suspended <laughs> in space and then they're attacked by skeletons right and ultimately um, set who sucks the life energy out of isis and osiris yeah. He and Thor battle, and uh, Thor is on the defensive because if he's touched by Set, then it will kill him. Um, I don't. I don't know if. I don't know that. They're they're playing pretty fast and loose with Egyptian mythology here too. Oh yeah, the way they always do with uh, Norse. Because if you're if you're not aware, Anubis is the Egyptian god of the dead. Uh, Set is the god of chaos. Set is that force that tears shit down, and you know, it's yeah. He he's not necessarily the god of death, so I don't really know why it is 
that he's got this death touch other than fuck it, he's set, why not? Um, but in the course of things, Jane pleads with Odin to intercede because Thor's about to die, which kind of brings him back to himself somewhat. Uh, and he fires, which uh, <laughs> he blasts Seth or Set. Sorry, it's spelled Seth. So I'm just like in my notes, I'm I'm fucking up. Um, he blasts Set, which causes Set to lose a hand. And then, like, the ship crashes and all of the dead soldiers are dead now. Um, And he crawls out of the rubble and he's just like, hey, so we cool? (laughs) And they're just like, no, and, like, kick him off the golden road. And they're just like, cool. All right. (laughs) Yeah, and then the, the Egyptians take off walking down the road. And Odin is still out of it. Like, at the end of it, he's like, so I told you're my son. All right. I, I, yeah. I have no reason not to believe you. And yeah. uh, Thor is like, hey, can you undo the whammy you did? <laughs> and Osiris is like, gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's kind of it's weird because that's where they leave it in this issue but then at the beginning of the next uh so thor number 242 is written by len ween and colored by glennis ween they walk out of the pyramid and now odin is back he's broken not only the the spell put on him by osiris but also the spell he put on himself um everything is okay the military is just like, great, but we still have this rando fucking pyramid here. And Thor's like, oh yeah, and then just like whips it away. Um, and when Odin comes back to himself, he is livid about Jane. Um, of course. And Thor's like, father, like, come on. Like, what the fuck is your problem? And Odin says, no, I told you how it was going to be and you have ignored me get out of my sight and uh thor we're back to thor not being welcome in asgard which i i feel like this is a really weird i don't know if this is a consequence of the way in which we're reading these or not because over in avengers Thor is just like, you know, what am I doing with the Avengers? I have so much bigger shit to do. And then here, it's just like, you have to stay on Earth and deal with humans because you're not welcome in Asgard. And it's just, it seems slightly contradictory. Uh, I hadn't put that together until just now. Yeah, he isn't welcome anywhere at the moment. One of his own, one one of his own doing (laughs) yeah so Thor is sad but he flies he fly he and Jane fly back to her place and uh, they find that the warriors three are there and Volstagg has eaten her out of house and home 
Um, and she's like, okay, well, I'll make some lemonade. And she's like passing it out. And Fandral, guest of the year, is just like, yeah, but do you have anything that's not for babies? And she's like, I have some Pepsi. And he's like, no, I was thinking something like, but then a giant hand comes through the wall. And uh, grabs Jane. They go, Jane goes outside with the giant hand. And uh, everybody follows after to find the servitor, which is this giant motherfucker who I was like, have I seen this guy before? No, I guess not. Yeah. Yeah, because I... But he's... I was trying to think, because, I mean, at the end we find out it's Zarko, the Tomorrow Man, and he's everything. He's controlling the Servitor. Uh, right. But he's big, and he's gold, and he's Kirby-esque. Um, right. Is, is definitely the way I would put him. Um, and they proceed to fight. Everybody fights. Um, yeah. Um, it's not that great a fight either. It's, it's fine. (laughs) Like, I don't know. It's, it's one of those fights that it's, it's a giant thing versus smaller things. Uh, so it's not, it's not the worst, but it's by no means the best fight. I mean, we get more of the Jane wants to jump into battle for some reason. Uh, right, which is actually pretty cool, and it's still funny that Volstag's the one that's like, "No, nah, hold back, I'll I'll guard the rear." Yeah. yeah. Um. Oh God, the fat jokes in this are <laughs> this whole run. Anytime, yeah, it's just like the. It's not the fat jokes; it's the laziness of the fat jokes. Right, I should be. Uh, I should it be. Can, it can be both. It can be <laughs> both. Okay. Um, how about it's not just the fat jokes; it's ha- it's also how lazy they are. Right, right. Um. So. Yeah. Um. The upshot. Um. The upshot of all of this is the ser- they defeat the servitor and they're about to you know destroy it when Zarko the Tomorrow Man shows up and he's like you need to come with me or everything is going to be destroyed and um, he does say he needs your that he needs their help right or the earth is doomed and everybody's right. like well okay so right. end of issue so Thor 243 is lettered by Joe Rosen and uh so we find so we find out the upshot of all of this is that uh Zarko has taken over the the 50th century um but there is there is this menace called the time twisters who move in a corkscrew pattern backward through time and pop in to Earth's timeline every 30 
centuries, uh, which causes the world to be destroyed at that point. It, like it, it's it's destroyed when they out. leave it. Right. They they wipe out they wipe out life on Earth when when they pass. Um, which this is actually kind of fun. Like as a yeah, as an enemy type goes or whatever, like I kind of like this. Yeah, no, it's a, it's an interesting it's an interesting thing. So they are making their way toward uh, the fiftieth century, and along the way, they have a run in with like various time displaced enemies, dinosaurs. Soldiers from you know World War Two, uh, yada yada yada, just all kinds of shit. Um, and they fend them off. Like Thor, Thor uses Mjolnir to send a tyr- Tyrannosaurus Rex hurtling into the void. <laughs> like <laughs> you don't know where that's gonna show up, Thor. <laughs> but anyway, so um, they they manage to make it to the future. Um, and where they find out that, uh, Zarko is an asshole. Big shock. Right. Um, Um, and I mean, there's, they throw a lot of shade his way on the way up to the palace. Um, like, hey guy, uh, Zarko, the, the way you rule your people blows why did that guy walk up to you and immediately start asking you about getting power? Why aren't you yeah. getting power for your people? And Zarko's like, she don't give them power. What are you, dumb? No. Power enables communication. Mm-hmm. Communication enables... Dissent. Uh, rebellion. Yeah, you know, and, and rebellion. Yada, yada, yada. And, and it's, it's like, just like, wow, you're yeah, shitty. But um, you don't have to, like, be a dick. Maybe then they won't yeah. want to rebel. And he's like... Right. No, I don't agree. None of those words right. make sense. Um, but the time twisters show up and sort of stop that conversation from happening. Yeah. Which brings us to Thor 244. Um, Zarko's, Sarka, Zarko's response is to throw wave after wave of his own people at the time twisters who are immediately um who are immediately either aged into dust or babies have their personal timeline reversed to the point that they cease to exist um the only survivor of this is a dude named Derek Derek like the whole the whole thing is the way Zarko gets these people to agree to do this is by offering them one month of unlimited power if they succeed. So Derek agrees to do it and his wife's just like, no, honey, you need to stay here with me. And he's like, no, we need power. Um, So he is the sole survivor of the people Zarko sends up against the Time Twisters. Um, Meanwhile, on Asgard, uh, the vizier has been a little uppity for him and has been quest- yeah. questioning Thor ki- or Odin kind of openly about his decision to re-banish Thor just because of Jane. And, yeah. like, they're trying... 
he's trying to get to the point where he can tell him, uh, tell Odin about Sif being a part of Jane now. And before he can get there, Odin's just like, you know what? Go away. And he <laughs> sends him to the tower or someplace so that he can do... The Tower of Solitude. Yeah, the Tower of Solitude so he can continue his research or whatever he does. And, he, you know, Vizier goes because he is still loyal. He just was asking some questions. And Balder gets tasked to be Odin's new vizier, which he well, no, doesn't really no. want to do. He's not He's not tapped to be his new oh, vizier. Oh, yeah. He's tapped to go and get Igron, who had been an advisor to Loki. Do I remember and Igron? bring him. He appeared once or twice before, I, I think. I think so. Okay. But he's been in, he's been in the dungeon. And so Balder is sent to retrieve him. Um, and Balder's just like, oh, okay, boss, whatever you say. This doesn't seem um, like a good idea, but I don't want to go read in the tower, so I'm on yeah. it. <laughs> so, uh, back in the, back in the 50th century, um, Thor is livid about all the people who just died, and he is ready to go in hammers blazing. Um... But Jane's like, wait, try talking to them. And Thor's like, fine. And it's just like, I, I love that she kind of, it's like Jane, he's a Norse god. The Norse gods are not exactly like, generally speaking, they don't. They don't ask questions first. <laughs> it's only afterward, like after the battle has commenced, that it's just like, oh, maybe we maybe we're not enemies. They don't they don't lead with that. No. Um But so he's like, okay, fine. So he tries to reason with the time twisters and they're like, We're on a quest to uh to gain and distribute knowledge and we cannot be stopped. Um, and they just keep kind of tossing Thor aside. Um, Derek wakes up in the middle of the corpses of all of his friends. And, uh, he's like, no, this is bullshit. Zarko, Zarko has to, has to pay. And, uh, so he goes walking off. Yes. Um, the, the, the time twisters leave which causes massive amounts of upheaval. Um, and the earth is, uh, the earth itself is not destroyed, but everything on it is. Um, there's this really cool shot during the fight. Like the time twisters start bringing people from other times ahead again. There's this really badass shot when, Thor calls down sit or Jane picks up a uh, a sword. Thor calls down some lightning on some dudes and while Jane's got the sword held above her head, the lightning flashes behind her and she looks like Sif and then yeah. she brings the sword down on some guy and she's Jane again and Thor's the only one that saw it. It's f- yeah. really cool. I know it's like 
nothing and it goes nowhere, but it's still sweet. Well, it does. It doesn't go nowhere. It so, does. There like is it. actual. There is an actual payoff to this, um, because. But I no, I agree. That is a really. I just couldn't remember if it was this specific part. Um, so the issue ends with everything on Earth being destroyed, um, and then so Thor two forty five starts, and. The Asgardians have survived. Um, and we we find out... Everybody jumped the into re- the time cube at the end of it, right? And that managed to... No. No. Zarko and Servitor <coughs> did. The Asgardians were at ground zero. But what happened was that Jane somehow called upon the abilities of Sif and jumped them ahead until the, the destruction was over. Uh. So they all, they all load on to Zarko's time cube uh, with the intent of traveling forward into the 80th century. uh, Or no, sorry. They, with the intention of traveling all the way to the end of time, when the time twisters are created and stop them there. Um, Derek gets off of the time cube before they leave. Right, right. It turns out that Derek had climbed aboard the time cube to try and make Zarko pay, but uh, he winds up coming back out and he's like, oh my God, my entire world. Yeah, um, he has his mind broken after he yeah. comes outside. Uh, they go forward to the end of time where they find he who remains. And I was trying to remember, cause I'm like, I know he who remains like, wh- why do I know him? Um, and it turns out he, he appears in both Avengers forever and in the earth X store timeline. Um, and it all has to do with the time variance authority. Um, so I've read other things that either mention him or, or that he appears in, which I was surprised by. Um, but Jane is like, they're like, you've got to, you've got to stop this uh, or stop them from being born. And he who remains is like, no. Well, first the point- they find the time twisters who are like a, these embryonic pods and they point them out. And Thor's just like, well, time for baby murder. And, <laughs> <laughs> he just walks over and ready to friggin' slam the hammer down on these, yeah, like time twister fetuses, and he's just everybody's <laughs> gonna say this isn't this is this isn't murdering of babies. If anything, this is this is um this is hammer based abortion. <laughs> um, but uh, the least effective, most dangerous. <laughs> Oh no, I'm sad. Uh, I'm just imagining an abortion clinic <laughs> where somebody's just there with a hammer. <laughs> oh right, god, that's up? terrible. <laughs> that is fucking awful. Yeah, it really, Why? It really is. Oh. We're going directly to hell for that one. Um I don't make don't make noises. Um 
So he who remains stops the hammer. <sighs> the hammer from. That's how, that's how I got rid of the mice. Uh, anyway. <laughs> he who remains is just like, no, you don't understand. The point of this is that these. Uh, these children will grow and they will then teach the next universe. And Jane's like, but that's not what's going to happen. And so she explains to him what they are, at which point they're just like, let's get the fuck out of here. And uh, he who remains uh, turns off the life support to the fetal time twisters. Um, Now, apparently, this now causes a split um, in the timeline wherein uh, wherein they do wind up becoming the time twisters of course and then also where he winds up creating the time keepers and yada 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 but whatever moving on they return to the 50th century but everything is radically different uh, and when they arrive, Zarko, Zarko is brought before First Citizen Derek. And uh, because in Derek his absence, is, Derek has d- managed to create a, I mean, like a Greek utopia where, with I guess without the slavery. Well, I don't. The feeling I get is that history is rewritten. Since the Time Twisters never... I mean, it has to be. Because Derek was the only survivor. So he didn't... He didn't masturbate these people into being. No. Yeah, time was... Time was rewritten. The thing that I don't understand... and Like, where they're playing fast and loose with their time travel rules is, like... Time was rewritten around Derek... Like, because he still has all of his experiences. Everybody else just popped fully formed up back into being. And it's it's not really. (laughs) I think it's I think it's kind of the same rules. (laughs) Gesundheit. I think it's kind of the same rules that led to Bishop being stuck in the age of apocalypse. That once you once you've been all time travelly even a little, then maybe time travel doesn't affect you nearly as much. I, I don't know. Well, see, uh, yes, but then, like, as they're having their... Uh, Zarko the Tomorrow Man gets his comeuppance, because now he's not even welcome in his own aid, in his own century he'd once taken over. He's also going to get arrested. Um, he, then the, the Asgardians and Jane are whisked back through the time stream... To the lemonade and Pepsi scene yeah. from two, three issues ago, and yeah, uh, yeah. story. Since the time twisters never existed, Zarko never came back to get them. On and on and on. the The one thing we did forget to mention is that the servitor sacrificed himself oh, to yeah. save Zarko from being blasted, and we do actually get like a kind of a moment of sadness from Zarko because you know Thor is just like your your servant discharged his duty 
well and, you know, stuff like that. And Zarko's just like, well, yeah, but he was more than just my servant. He was, he was my friend. And, uh, I don't know, like, usually Zarko is just a total piece of shit. So the fact that he is kind of saddened by this is a little surprising. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Uh... So the next issue is kind of a big one. So let's go ahead and take a break. Yep. And uh, we will be back with Giant Size Defenders. Yeah, I don't know. It just hurts sometimes. Yeah. It is what it is. So. Anyway... Uh, rousing start. Yeah. Back in it. Woo! We're back. We got uh, energy. We're good to go. Yeah. We're gonna do this. Giant sized Avengers number five. Woohoo! Um. So yeah, uh, giant size, <laughs> giant size defenders has like all the creators. Uh. Because it's uh, written by Steve Gerber, Jerry Conway, Roger Slifer, uh, Len Wein, Chris Claremont, and Scott Edelman. Penciled by Don Hack. Inked by Mike Esposito, Jim Mooney, and Dave Hunt. Colored by George Russos and lettered by Dave Hunt and Artie Simek. So it's literally, it literally took a village to make this happen. But, uh... So we have Doctor Strange, Valkyrie, and Hulk. And they are flying out to check out this weird uh, distortion. And they find this creature called Elar um, that is that is ranting about humans being a, a stain and all this shit. Um, in the in the course of which uh, they they meet, the Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, well, they meet three of the Guardians of the Galaxy. Vance Astro, Charlie 27, and uh, Yondu. God. Um, Martin X is back with their ship, which crashed. Um, and as they, are, <coughs> as they are doing all of this, this kid sees this, the ship crash goes to invest tries to tell his parents and they're just like you're full of shit um, yeah I I understand that this was the 70s and like dads that got raised in the 50s or something but at the same time like they're real uh, like quick to jump to you're lying go to your room you're always lying I hate your I I, I hate your imagination. My, you know, it's one of those things, like, don't get me wrong, I get tired of my daughter just making up bullshit, but, like, I don't say, you're full of it, I hate you, stop being imaginative, I'm like, wow, really? That's cool. Like, even if I don't believe her, I still, like, humor her, I'm not just like, well, I mean, God, as long as it's not, kid. like, dangerous or something, you know, like, right. if it's, if it's... Daddy, I want to tell you a story about a dog that I made up, and it's like, okay, go ahead. Yeah. And then there's, even and then there's, I, even that it's even just, if I'm I met not a dog. feeling it. 
Sorry. What? <laughs> and then it's just, I met a dog and he was fluffy. The end. Yeah. Whereas, like, you know, Moira recently, uh, she had a bruise on her arm and she said that it's because this little shit bag at school, Bentley, bit her. And I'm like, he did what now? And she's like, he bit me. And I'm like, did you tell your teacher? And she's like, yeah, he put him or she put him on timeout. So I text the teacher and I'm like, so Bentley bit Moira? And then only after that did Moira did Moira then say, well, I was joking. Like sometime oh. later, she said I was joking. And so I'm like, Moira, I text your teacher. And she's like, what? And I'm like, yeah, because I take shit like that seriously. Like, I'm not going to let some kid continue to bite you. You know, <laughs> stuff like that is one thing. But when it's just like I saw a shooting a, a, a an alien ship, I'm just like, yeah, cool. Did you say hi? And, you no. know, whatever. Uh, but yeah, so this kid goes out to investigate and he... Makes his way into the ship because apparently there are no defenses for that. Um, and Martin and is standing there and he's like, uh, hi. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And over the course of this, you know, he's like, I want to be an astronaut. And actually, my name sounds like astronaut. It's Astrovic. But I'm going to change it to Astro. And everybody's just like, oh, my God. Um, So, yeah, this is a giant size issue. And that's about all that happens. Well, they they fight Elar. I mean, okay, so they fight this Elar guy in a bunch of places and find out that he was. And they they indoctrinated by a a Badoon helmet. helmet. Yeah. And mutated by it's also mutated by its radiation so this giant eel thing thinks it's a badoon and that's why it's going on the rampage and the guardians are here in this time space because they were looking for the helmet because they thought it would provide more information about how to fight the badoon in the 31st century and everybody kind of leaves disappointed well yeah uh but then in the in the end the defenders agree to go to the 31st century and help them um so yeah uh so then i stepped all over that i'm sorry no you're you're fine um i mean that was basically the gist of it um so, uh, the, the next, this is the last issue of Giant Size Defenders. So then we go to Defenders number 26, which is written by Steve Gerber, penciled by Sal Bashima, inked by Vince Coletta, colored by Irene Vartanoff, and lettered by Karen Mantlow and Gaspar Saladino. What I will say is I think I've figured out because in a lot of these cases they simply say stuff was lettered by so-and-so and and then I'll find out later that Gaspar Saladino did the first page and was uncredited 
And I think Gaspar Saladino may have been the guy they called in to do the title page. Like, all of the titles and stuff. That makes um, sense. Because up until now, I've just been like, it seems really weird that, like, the the wiki would put his name first, even though he did one page. But, okay, that that's the way that I make this make sense. Um, so we start Defenders number 26, and Jack Norris is trying to be like, Barbara, you don't remember me? And Valkyrie's like, dude, seriously? I'm not Barbara. Yeah. I'm, I'm in her body, but I'm not Barbara. And, uh... You need to stop Jack, calling me Barbara. That is not my name. Right. Uh, I need Jack, you to get through, to get that through your head. And then Jack is like, not taking not Barbara for an answer and plants one on her and she's like and he's like no you didn't feel anything at all and I'm like you're real lucky you're not dead right now yeah and she as much tells him that which yeah um yeah cause don't don't a as a lesson don't do this don't yeah. just kiss women that you don't Especially when they're telling you that they're not who you think they are. Right. Um, and also, uh, if you do that to Valkyrie and don't die, you've had a good day. Yeah. Um, but there's all sorts of disasters that are being caused by by all of this time travel buttfuckery. And so, the Defenders... Uh, the defenders race to the location of uh, the Guardian ship because it gets surrounded and there's news crews and Martin X and young Vance Astrovic come outside and everybody's just like, he's got a hostage! <laughs> and uh, so... The Defenders arrive, and Doctor Strange teleports the entire ship up to, um, first up to the Defenders' upstate compound, uh, where they start fixing the ship. And while this is going on, Major Astro takes young Vance Astrovic to the side and starts explaining to him... He he couches all of this in the in the context of this happening on a different planet. Right. But like young young Astrovic has to be a goddamn moron not to know that this is like future Earth that we're talking about. <clears throat> but this is this is the first time we get a mention of Kill Raven being in the same timeline as the Guardians. Yeah, I thought that um, was cool. Yeah. Um and it was kind of so I was looking at it and apparently it was kind of treated like this may be an alternate timeline kill Raven. But apparently the official handbook of the Marvel Universe categorically said both exist on the same timeline. Um, so in the course of this now i i was vaguely aware of this meeting taking place because they made mention of it in uh earth x they made mention of the fact that vance astrovic who winds up becoming justice 
of the event of the new warriors and avengers uh wasn't going to have telepathic powers until major astro shared a portion of his powers with him uh and stuff like that and it's a whole weird thing but i i was aware that they met at one point um so in the course of things they finish repairing the ship enough that it will operate at which point dr strange teleports it into space and he erases vance astrovic's memories of the conversation and everything that had happened uh so that's that and then dr strange uses time travel to take the entire ship into the 31st century uh which brings us to defenders number 27 which is colored by al wenzel and lettered by joe rosen um so the the thing that i will say is i am i am digging the uh I'm generally digging the future guardians of the galaxy. Uh, the only thing I don't like is Yondu being the whole noble savage thing. I wish they would quit saying that. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, I know that they're using it as like this shortcut, but he isn't even that. He's just kind of a quiet guy like that's that's his whole thing quiet lots of like talk of honor when he does talk and things like that but i wish they would just stop saying those words and well because the character doesn't even really fit with the stereotypical connotations of those words yeah um and it's 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 not it's one of those things that it's it's generally now viewed as being pretty racist um and you know i'm not going to get into why there are people who are far better at explaining such things than i am uh it's it's just it's the kind of thing the the pro the problem with it is in the in the the reader's digest version is that while it is not a negative trope it's similar it is a very romanticized view of other cultures it is something that it's kind of it's kind of like uh it's kind of like all black people are good at basketball in that just because it's not a negative thing doesn't mean it's not racist you know yeah i mean think think of it as like it's same as the uh asians are good at math like right that's not cool don't say that uh it's 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 one of those things that even even if look it's like this um it is is 
the idea of the noble savage necessarily as negative a stereotype as the whole like white man's burden it is the responsibility of white people to spread civilization no it's not as negative as that but it's still the kind of thing of other other uh other cultures do not exist for you to to wish you could be like that you know what i mean yeah like they they're not they're not there for you to fawn over them right there it's their own thing they have their problems they have their uh their benefits it but they're people like you are you don't get to sit there and yeah so anyway moving on that that is bugging me but so the guardians arrive in the 31st century and are hovering hovering over earth uh, they get ready to send a party down to the planet. Um, and I am kind of curious at times because Marvel has had the license for Star Trek at different times over the years. So I kind of wonder if the design of their ship is intentional in that regard. Like maybe... Oh, I'm sure. You know, maybe there's a correspondence between... Maybe Star Trek is somewhere on that timeline. Technically? I don't know. Whatever. Um, But so, they prepare to beam down an away party. Or an away team. uh, When the Badoon are just like, Oh shit, the Guardians are back. So they monkey with the uh, signal which causes the the party to, to be split off and sent in two different directions. Um, which I actually like that. Like, yeah. as, a, as a, a device to have a let's split the team up even further story and, like, encounter things that we weren't prepared for and all of that, which is fairly rote comic things, right? But right. the fact that we... The setup for that is a transporter malfunction, essentially, is pretty cool uh, and not as dumb as it sounds. Um, Yeah. And it's drawn really well, and this is, like, the first time that we've got Martin X being like, Oh, crap, I'm a really bad leader, man. (laughs) I just... Yeah. Because in the Guardians book, later, um, when they're fighting the Stark and before... uh, I guess, dang. He gets cracked at some point, and it actually, it's a physical and metaphorical, like, scar on him, because he also starts really questioning whether he should be in charge of the team. Um, And this is the first sort of, ah, damn it, I'm not a good leader. Uh, (laughs) Anyway. Oh, and while they're doing, fucking Norris idiot jumps out of the goddamn ductwork and is like where'd you put my wife and yeah what are you uh go away go yeah away jack norris is really unwilling to believe in any of what like he he 
continues to believe that the defenders are clowns that that they're like like that none of them are legit you're and you're time traveling bro like you're you're in a room with a man made of silicon like yeah there's some truth to what's going on uh but yeah so what we wind up with (laughs) one half of this is really dumb and the other i really like so uh Vance Astro which one and Valkyrie. The one, which one's the one you like? I like the I like the bits with Val and uh, and Astro. Okay. On the Badoon homeworld. Yeah. All right. Um, because that's that's interesting. That's an interesting subversion of what you think of the Badoon up to this point. Right. The other is just bullshit, stupid planet where dumb things happen for no reason. The, the other planet, the other planet reminds me of uh, Rick and Morty where it's like the purge planet and everybody's just like, why would you agree to that? It's the same thing here right. where it's just like for story reasons, I understand, but like, why would anyone live in a society like this? <laughs> um, but so, so Val and Major Astro wind up in this swamp where they are attacked by weird green monsters. And Vance comments on how they kind of look Badoonish. Um, and then Valkyrie strikes one and immediately goes down. Like, it's not that yeah. she got hit, she hit one of them things that they're fighting. It's just she immediately is like, oh, I'm going to barf. Yeah. Oh, no. What is what is that? Vance mine manages to get himself sort of free from his being beset upon. And then blasts the others off of Val. Picks her up. And then we've got a glowing man in the distance who's like, if she needs help, bring her with to me. Yeah. And it's like, I hate starhawk anyway i i d- it's one of those things i had started trying to read guardians of the galaxy at one point because i was like curious and i got to this point and i'm like i have no idea what's going on um and starhawk is one of those so like the stuff that happens with starhawk in this i genuinely do not understand what the fuck is going on with him um, well, I've read and, I've read all of it. I've yeah. read all of it because I was like, well, okay, so I haven't read all of it. I've read the entirety of their series from the late seventies uh-huh. or early eighties, one of the two. I've read the the whole Guardians of the Galaxy run that was available on Unlimited, and uh, so I do know what Starhawk's deal is mostly, and it's still stupid. Okay, it's not great. Um, All right. Anyway, so so Martin X. That, that's that. Um, yeah, Hulk and Yondu wind up on this weird planet where people are like not making any goddamn sense, and they're all drunk. But like, even though there is ostensibly a festival going on, this is not a happy drunk situation. Everybody's drunk drinking to like dull the pain, and they're like, what? what's going on so then they have a run-in with these robots which 
Hulk destroys. At which point, a bigger robot is like, my babies! And, uh... Knocks them out. Yeah, So then... Mind wipes them. Back on the Captain America, which is the, uh... The ship. In... uh, Around Earth. Uh... Martin X and... Doctor Strange and uh, Charlie have I figured have decided that the the a good idea is to uh, strap Doctor Strange's brain to the computer so that Strange will be able to augment his sensory capability, but then also use the speed of the computer and his brain to. Basically search the entire universe for the other four at once. Um, Which, cool. Yeah. I mean, like, it's, it's it's an interesting solution to the situation, even if, like, it's like, why would you, why would you agree to do that? You're you're gonna burn yourself out, but whatever. Uh, And while Uh, they're, while, as soon as he starts, the other Badoon ship had their sensors trained on him or on the Captain America so as soon as Strange starts his scan it releases just this amazing amount of power and blows out their sensor array um, mm-hmm. and so the Badoon are immediately like oh shit they've got some sort of power source or a weapon or something fuck this go take them now so there's now a bit of a ticking clock yeah uh, so we we go back to Valen Vance. Um, <clears throat> the uh, s- the figure reveals itself to be Starhawk, who heals Valkyrie. We switch back to Hulk and Yondu, who are brought before the leader of the planet Guzat, uh, and he's just like. Uh, put him in the gladiator arena, and then the Badoon attack the Captain America. So, Defenders number twenty-eight is inked by Frank Giacoya and John Tartag. Um, Doctor Strange is rigged into the machine. Martin X and the rest are like, "Oh shit! If they interfere, then Doctor Strange will be killed." Um. But they wind up, they try to fight, but they've got the, it's Badoon with like a bunch of, uh, a patrol of Zoms, which are lobotomized humans. Yeah. Uh, and Nighthawk winds up being grabbed and he is then threatened by the leader of the Badoon who makes the others stand down. They go and find Strange, uh, uh, and the Badoon are initially, like, confused because Martin X is saying this is the source of the uh, energy you you uh, sensed. Sensed. And uh, they're just like, this dude? The dead one? Yeah. And, uh, and they're like, what? And Turns it, out Strange the Badoon had. Like, yeah, he's, uh, he's done for. But we'll come back for his head. It's fine. Uh, so they take the they take um, what remains of the Guardians and Nighthawk to Earth. 
Uh, we switch to the dumb planet where Hulk and Yondu are mesmerized and made to take part in a game show. Uh, but apparently before the show starts, uh, one of Guzot, the leader's wives, pops down to talk to Hulk and apparently making it, getting slightly wet over someone else is like a an offense punishable by death because Guzat's just like here send her with him uh so they have Yandu fight these robots and he defeats them they then send Hulk and the wife to this planet of ants of robot ants which Hulk just fucking wrecks and uh they're just like, oh my god, this is a first. This is the this is the first time we've ever had three survivors on a single episode. Um, on the other planet, meanwhile, Starhawk takes Valkyrie and Vansastro to the queen of this city, and we find out these are the female Badoon that their their race is heavily segregated to the extent that the male Badoon have gone off and done their own thing. And the only time that there is any any contact between the races is that uh, is when they are uh, randy, which happens once in their lives, and they go pretty much feral. So... Yeah, it's a... It's a... Pawn far situation. Yeah, it, it is. It's a, it's a full-blown... One time per life, pawn far. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> fuck. Um, and uh, the uh, the the upshot of all of this is they explain to the queen of the sisterhood of the Badoon that the brotherhood of the Badoon is out there starting shit. Now, what's and like they said, like they never even considered that which i think is cool like the sisterhood are just like what do you mean they're out starting shit i thought they just went to their planet and like stayed there and she's like yeah i mean no 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 they're they're an intergalactic or an interstellar empire and they're like oh damn it that this this is why this is why i really like uh this this side of things is because there were several very interesting things here. Number one, that the males are responsible for child rearing. They come and they collect the young and they see to them. At which point, after which they drop the women off. Yeah, um, it's a. I mean, it's a control thing. Right. No. Right. I just. It's. It's an interesting level of detail for a race that is just cartoonishly evil otherwise. Sure. You know, yeah. they could just have them be the bad guys. But like this and the fact that the the sisterhood is wholly unaware of what the brotherhood is doing and so on all makes it all adds levels to a race that otherwise would just be snarling ah, we're yeah. evil. And Those also, they've uh, the sisterhood having 
basically evolved their own technology independent of the Brotherhood and keeping it secret from the Brotherhood because if the Brotherhood knew that they had advanced at all, they would just wreck their shit. Um, And that's pretty cool, too. Like, everybody's got a little more layering here. Yeah, which is which is more than one way. Like this is this is some really interesting world building. Yeah. Um, but so after all of this, Starhawk is just like, huh? Okay, that's it for me. Bye. Um, at which point he takes off and starts flying into space and passes the astral form of Doctor Strange, who then teleports Vance and. Uh, and Valkyrie to Earth right as the others are about to be executed uh, publicly. Yeah. Which brings us to Defenders number 29, which is inked by Vince Coletta, colored by Glynis Ween, and lettered by John Costanza. Uh, They they arrive and they're like, oh shit, so they attack um, and save them, and they all run off and... uh, and hunker down for a minute. Uh, meanwhile, Doctor Strange locates Hulk and Yondu. Um, and uh, yeah, it, this is the whole thing about the robot ants. Then uh, Hulk is tele- Hulk and this woman are teleported back, and Hulk is about to turn the host of this game show into paste when uh, <laughs> when. Doctor Strange trans transports the two of them back to Earth. Um, we get a we really get... short page of Starhawk arriving home. Yeah, and this is why, like, this is the and... one thing I know about Starhawk other than he's enigmatic, and I'm just like, what the fuck? So he comes home, he meets some children, and then he has to say that he... They ask him if he's going to stay or if he has to go back out again. And he's like, I don't know. I'll have to talk to Aletta. And he talks to... He talks to Aletta... Or he communicates to Aletta via a, like, screen. That's the only part of this that's a little inconsistent. Um... Because Aletta is his other half. <laughs> they're joined. Eventually. Um, they're in love now. No, wait. They are separate entities now. They are a single entity later. Um, okay. Yeah. So that explains why when he shows up in Guardians of the Galaxy with like oh, Peter and Rocket and yeah. stuff, he switches back and forth between male and female. No. That or is, it, that's a time travel thing. Oh. Because he's pulling every time he's every time Starhawk comes forward in time in that story, it's be, he comes in as a slightly different version of himself because he's pulling himself from different versions of time. Yeah. That's the only part of that Abnet and Lanning, uh, Lanning run that I'm not a fan of is the Starhawk nonsense. Um, anyway, but... Uh, so, the... Sorry, there's a bug. That's oh, why I'm... Okay. Uh, 
there is a uh, they start with this huge battle against the Badoon um, Doctor Strange comes back and uh, brings he he comes back to his body aboard the Captain America while Jack Norris is just being like you know I I didn't buy any of this but I I get it I'm I'm on board you guys like I'm now, sold now that and, I've seen actual evil aliens it's like but you've been doing goddamn magic and the Hulk like it's the Hulk okay whatever dude yeah I, this Jack, is what it took Jack is frustrating he he gets there eventually but it takes so goddamn long <laughs> um, so. Uh, they go and join the join the defenders. At which point, Starhawk shows up, and Jack and Doctor Strange are like looking at him. And there's like a whole there's a whole thing where they realize, like by looking deep into Starhawk's eyes, they realize he's on the level. And well, they and he says the goddamn thing, which is this is Starhawk's whole fucking deal. Is I am the one who knows. And it's like, and this is why Starhawk as a character is frustrating because clearly somebody thinks this is interesting as shit. Um, yeah. And the writers try really hard, but the problem is when you've got a character who is omniscient, there's you can't do anything with that. Well, you either you either everything's too easy, or they have to intentionally hold back information for reasons. reasons. Yeah, you and like, it, and, and it just makes, and that's what they do with Starhawk. They have to, they and he intentionally holds shit back from everybody else, and just looks like an asshole the whole time. Yeah. So instead, I can I can never like him. Um, right. Anyway, yeah, he is the one who knows. Yay. Uh, so, Doctor Strange and Jack Norris go to liberate a Badoon prison. And Doctor Strange just kind of hangs back and lets Jack Norris do it because it has to be done by the people of Earth for it to matter. Um, so, they it's at that point that Starhawk is just kind of like, okay, you're done here. And Doctor Strange is like, all right. And the other defenders, to their to their credit, when they return to their proper time, Nighthawk and the rest are like, what the fuck are you doing? We said we were going to help them free Earth, and we just took off. And Doctor Strange is like, no, there's a reason. I'll let Jack explain. <laughs> and... <laughs> Which is kind of a dick move, but uh, but no, like the the defenders are just like, why did we leave? And Strange is just like, cause uh, there are reasons, but ours is not to ours is not to reason why. Blah blah blah. Yeah. Um. So it's, yeah, yeah, because and it's basically like because it builds character. Yeah, <laughs> I mean. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so yeah, and I do. I also 
I, I thought it was interesting that Jack, uh, in the course of his coming to Jesus moment, uh, he, like, the biggest problem I feel like is if this were the Avengers, Jack would be having an easier time with it. But because it's the Defenders and because the Defenders are secret, that's why he's just like, this is all bullshit. What the fuck are you people doing? You've got a magician? Like, what are you talking about? You know, uh, he says in the course of his his coming to Jesus moment that he's just like, I get now why you keep the team a secret. Yeah. And it's frustrating, but that's a rather nice, like, okay, yeah, no, I get it. It all makes sense now. Anyway, uh, Master of Kung Fu, number 36. Speaking of inscrutable, uh, written by Doug Minch, penciled by Keith Pollard, inked by Sal Trapani, colored by Petra Goldberg, and lettered by John Costanza. Shang-Chi receives a letter from a dude named Moon Sun uh, saying, hey, we need your help. So Shang-Chi goes to New York uh, to meet with the guy as they are walking through the streets a dagger comes out of nowhere and stabs Moon Sun in the back uh, leaving Shang-Chi to fight these ninjas from the warlords of the web they fight and it's a far range it's a, it's a pretty cool battle it's um, a good fight be, yeah because he you know he's there's a lot of like you know, the ninjas are flipping around and doing shit that should be impossible. And, and he generally feels like he's kind of on his back foot. Like, this yeah. is... Rarely do I think that Shang-Chi is not, like, in control of the fight. And this is one of those where it's like, yeah, he's in control, but only just. And then they all vanish. Yeah, they... Not only that, but all evidence that they were there vanishes, including Moonsoon's body. Body, and he's mystagic or magically alive. Um, oh yeah, and Shang Chi is like, "What the fuck is going on?" And Moonsoon is just like, "It's all. It's all part of the mystery." I can give you some answers, but to completely explain everything that's going on would ruin it, which is a which is a pretty good explanation for this entire story, because it's basically it's like needlessly obtuse. Uh, so they go inside this this room and soon is just like, I'm going to go in the other room and get my treasure. You uh, still day here and talk to the canvases so he goes over and introduces you. himself yeah. to this canvas and inside inside each of the or under each of these canvases is a cage with a creature of some sort an angel hawk a centaur unicorn dude called a, the, the first one's a satyr a wolf this, man and then there's a uh, werewolf know, a two-headed snake uh, and all, and a mermaid that's ne- that's topless for no other reason than promise of titties. Um, yeah. And Shang Chi tries to talk to them, and they're all being really cryptic. 
Or just aggressively unhelpful. Like, the werewolf is just straight up like, fuck you, no, I'm not going to tell you anything. Open this cage, I'll rip your face off, motherfucker. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) So, then Moonsoon I actually like Shang-Chi's reaction to that, because he's like, hmm, I don't think so. Thank you, though. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So, Moonsoon returns. The thing is, I keep saying Sun, because... His name is Moon Sun, so I'm guessing at pronunciation here, uh, and I don't want to keep saying Moon Sun. Uh, but he returns with his treasure, which it turns out is his daughter Tiko. Shang Chi agrees to protect them from the warlords of the web and it and their leader, who it turns out is this guy named Dark Strider. They then he then joins them the next morning on this train. And we leave the issue with these ninjas running along the top, talking about killing the ten. Um, Which is all of the everybody in the train that we that we care about, including yeah. the circus of weirdos. Yeah. Uh, so, Master of Kung Fu number thirty-seven is colored by Janice Cohen. Uh, we have a fight on the train again. Not a bad fight necessarily, uh, but. Shang-Chi defeats these ninjas on top of the train. They then run along and jump off the front of the engine. And he, like, looks over expecting there to be blood, viscera, even just, like, a bump as the train runs over them. And there's nothing. So he comes back in uh, and tries to find uh, find answers to why Dark Strider is trying to kill them all. And each of them gives him a different version of what happened. Uh, in one version, it was this Mandarin, and he loved them so much he invited them to stay forever. They said, no, thank you, so he swore vengeance. Uh, in another, the Mandarin was unhappy with their performance and tried to get them to shut the fuck up and go away, and so he swore vengeance. In one, it was a peasant man whose wife died of fright upon seeing the members of the circus and he swore vengeance and so on and so on uh the last version is the mermaid tells him that a woman saw them as they were traveling and felt bad about their being in cages so she hired the dark strider to free them from their life of pain so they arrive in the middle of the desert um and start putting up this tent. Shang-Chi is a little like, you're putting on a circus out here. Nobody's here. And uh, Monsoon is just like, the people who want to find us will find us. Um, Rhinor, the Unitar, asks Tiko Soon if she'd like to go for a ride. And this is the one thing about this that I really kind of like. Um is that she reacts very angrily and says, how dare you suggest that I, uh, that I should interact with one such as you. And Shang-Chi is angry because he's just like, you know, I know you're attractive, but you don't have to be such a bitch about it. Like, yeah, yeah he's, he's a centaur with a horn. Uh, but like, 
so what? You're fucking hot. Who cares? Right. But then he winds up going to her wagon and discovers that her beautiful face is actually a rubber mask and that she is horribly disfigured. And we find out that the opposite is actually true, that the reason she reacted so angrily is that she views herself as the one who's a freak and that her anger was over the fa- the idea that someone as beautiful as Rhinor should debase himself by being with her. Right. Um, which I, I think is one of the few times in this that I'm like, Oh, um, but so Shang-Chi goes into the, uh, big top and there's just like a single spectator in the bleachers. Uh, the Wolfman asks him where Moonsoon is, so he goes looking for him. He walks out of the tent and is immediately just like, oh yeah, we're in the middle of the fucking desert. Where could he go? So he walks back in and everybody's gone, including the dude in the stands. Um, but looks up and the, the various members of the circus... Um, the circus's menagerie are entangled in the web of dark strider who is this ninja master with six arms and uh so shang chi fights dark strider and the battle the battle goes back and forth a bit uh he he gets knocked around but then like gets back up and knocks dark strider around um Dark Strider in the course of this is talking about the members of this circus are desperate for the peace. I will provide them in death. Uh, And you're just kind of like, okay, sure, bro. Uh, But then when Dark Strider has been seeming, it, it kind of reaches a point where Shang-Chi's kicking him around and then, and then it's just kind of like the fight is over. So he kind of beats him, but not, not really. Uh, But then the, the various members of the menagerie become the ninjas of the warlords of the web and then fly off into the sky. Dark Strider is just kind of like, yeah, maybe you don't know what the fuck you're doing. Everybody comes to see me eventually. Uh, And then he flies off into the sky and all evidence that they were there disappears with the exception of a scrap of cloth from Moonsoon's robes, which makes um, Shang-Chi wonder if Dark Strider was uh, Moonsoon and whatever. But the one thing I will say is this ends with the quo- with him pondering, and I really kind of like what he says, which is... Uh, that excuse me that uh, we are all freaks in um, the eyes of others Uh, let me sorry let me find this real quick I uh, I want to make sure I've got the quote right Um, he uh Fuck, fuck, fuck. This is taking so long. I'm sorry. What do you wait, I'm looking right at it. What do you, which part are you where do you want to start? Like we are la- all freaks under other eyes and uh, life is our cage. 
the watching world is beautiful the watching world is blind yeah um which i think sums up what happened well even though as i said what happens is deliberately needlessly obtuse um because yeah it's like the more i think about it the more i'm like okay i kind of see but like initially after i read it i'm like wow i'm really dumb because this makes no goddamn sense right and i'm still looking at it and i'm like why did did why did shang chi need to learn this lesson and who thought he needed to where did this why did this happen like okay it happened it has a message and it's good that shang chi learned from it but also why did this happen i don't think it had to happen to shang chi like i don't think it's something shang chi necessarily needed to learn because i don't think shang chi was like suffering having not learned this previously right uh, I think Shang-Chi is just the avenue by which we teach this lesson. You know? Okay. Um, this, is, this is purely, this is purely, you know, it's kind of like those those stories where it's like, this dumbass goes on this adventure, and whether or not they learn anything is wholly irrelevant. The important thing is that you learn it, you know? Sure, um, but then, like... Man, this book is all over the place. It is. Lately. Especially in the last six issues. Because, like, we we were doing kung fu movie stuff, right? And then we had the end of the, Shang, or the Fu Manchu kind of arc, I guess. And the end of the thing with his... The end of that and the thing with his sister were essentially the same. And then... And then we decided to do James Bond for four issues... And then we decided, or five, and then we're doing parables now, and it's like, what? But I would, I would definitely rather this than the James Bond shit. That's definitely. true. Yeah. Uh, so, I don't know. I, I am warming to this more than I, than I was initially. I am more, more kindly disposed toward this than I was when I first read it when I first read it I'm like fuck you <laughs> like but now I'm like all right you know I I get what we're doing and I like this a hell of a lot I like this a hell of a lot more yeah um so yeah so uh I feel like we can just knock out this one issue real quick by saying Power Man fights a dude. <laughs> Power Man's a like Luke is an asshole. Like I yeah. know you've you've had a rough day, man. Because it start like we it is really fast. Yeah. Uh, uh, real start... quick, Power Man number twenty seven, written by Bill Mantlo, penciled by George Perez, inked by Al McWilliams, colored by Diane Bushima, and lettered by John Costanza. Luke is back in New York. Go. Uh, he turns up at his ha- at his apartment slash office and he finds over the the gym theater and he finds nothing but bills and his phone's been turned off. He's about to have his power turned off. Like he's and uh, Layla was supposed to call him, Claire. but now that he has no phone, not Layla, Claire, Claire. Duh. That's a 
whoops and uh, uh, he's just pissed and then there's somebody next door who it sounds like they're punching sides of beef um, out of nowhere the, the wall explodes and this guy comes pounding through it and he's like oh no I'm sorry mister I missed the bag and I ended up crashing through the wall and really genuinely like seems apologetic and and befuddled like and he's like, not he's not all there right and Luke's like you know what fuck this I've had it I'm, I need something to hit and you're it and like I'm like whoa this is this does not seem the way that Luke reacts even if he's had a bad day um, yeah he's he's the asshole here like, and he's really is the asshole here and like they have a bit of a fight uh then this willy guy shows up and he's like oh no stop please stop punching him um i'm his manager uh let me take him no, bernie bernie willy is the, the willy is the dude uh yeah bernie is like i'm sorry uh let me take him back over there uh i'll pay for the damage yeah and at that yeah. point luke's finally has a little bit of introspection is like oh damn maybe i was a dick Okay, maybe I'll try to calm down. Go back over and we find out that this Willie dude has got a, was a wrestler, uh, and he's got a brain. They they say it's a clot moving around in his head, blood clot moving around in his brain that is definitely going to kill him. In which the I feel months. like we've done this before. Uh. Yeah. I mean, I know, I know there was the boxer in Iron Man, Iron Man who had Eddie, the clot, Eddie but it wasn't actively like affecting his thinking like it is here. But yeah, uh, in then, the course of this, we have a criminal. So Willie gets Willie shoots off his mouth, and Bernie is like, "Fuck you, I'm out." Uh, so this criminal is running and hides something in one of the lockers in this gym, uh, before being arrested by the police. No, straight up murdered. Oh yeah. He gets shot by the police and then Willie happens across it in the locker, thinks it's a protein shake and drinks it, which it makes him big and strong. He then gets pissed off and goes to fight Luke Cage. They fight, they fight, they fight. Uh, as they're fighting and it spills out into the street, uh, Bernie is passing by and he's like, is that Willie? And so he goes to, uh, intervene, intervene. Thank you. Uh, intercede was where I was going, but whatever. Uh, but in the process takes a bit of masonry to the face and goes down Willie's like, oh my god, Bernie. Uh, and the ambulance comes and Willie's like, can I go with him to the hospital? And he reverts back to his schlubby fat self. Um, and uh, Luke's just like, man, I was kind of a prick there. So, yeah. It's not the best issue of Power Man. And it's, I'm kind of glad that it happened here. Just it, it, literally in the reading, it feels like, well, we got to put this somewhere. Uh, yeah. here. Yeah. So, let's take a break and we'll be back with some Iron Fist and that'll be it. So. Yep. 
trouble opening the thing. But then, what will often happen is I'll go to get my phone out of my pocket, and it's open, and op- has opened a bunch of apps from just, like, bouncing against my leg. Sure. And I'm like, pick one. Either be really easy to open, or really hard, but don't do this back and forth shit. Right. Fucking technology, I swear to God. Anyway, moving on. We're back. We're back. Uh, we start now with Iron Fist number two, which is written by Chris Claremont, penciled by John Byrne, inked by Frank Chiaramonte, uh, colored by Michelle Wolfman, and lettered by Joe Rosen. As I've said, I, I like John Byrne from during this period. Um, I This and uh, what I've seen of his run on Fantastic Four, I really like. And of course, Uncanny X-Men. Uh, it's just now that it's just like, no, I, I do not like this. Um, but anyway, so last issue, Colleen's father, Lee, was, uh, or last, last week, it was in the reading, um, Lee Wing was subjected to Angar the Screamer's, uh, bad vibes and is now in a hospital clinging to life and, um, not really wanting to live apparently. Um, so Iron Fist is sitting with him. Misty is hanging out, stuff like that. Um, most of this issue is a flashback to Kunlun, um, wherein Iron Fist is beset by this dude, Marin and his friends. Marin apparently feels that he was, I guess he's like a noble of, uh, Kunlun. Um, and he feels he was robbed of his opportunity, opportunity to be the Iron Fist, which seems to happen a lot to these assholes. Yeah, uh, if you're generally a dick, you apparently thought you were supposed to be the Iron Fist and then weren't. Even though, like, the whole thing is you fight your way through each other yeah. until the best gets chosen and yet every single time it's just like, oh, that guy doesn't deserve it. And it's like, well, he beat your ass, didn't he? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, but that that, didn't that doesn't count. Thing. So this asshole is like, I'm going to get you. So he, um, he and his buddies attack. In the middle of the fight, a masked person starts kicking ass um and in the process their mask is ripped off and it turns out to be this woman miranda um who apparently uh danny had some feelings for too that's not really made clear until later yeah um which is confusing is made weirder yeah by so, yeah. So, I looked her up and I found out what what happened with all of this. So, yeah. But uh, everybody's just like, a woman? And because uh, it's against the law in Kunlun for women to study martial arts. Right. 
um, a third person or a second a second person shows up also in a mask uh, who fights alongside them and it turns out that this is Danny's friend Connell uh, and it turns out that he's secretly been training Miranda Danny's like whoa hold on we need this is not okay and Connell's like fuck you the law is stupid um Marin tries to throw a dagger Danny catches it and throws it back at him um the guards show up and Connell and Miranda are arrested we have a brief vignette in the present wherein Colleen is brought before the Gerard Aldin uh and this guy Hassan is just like yeah she's totally brainwashed now and uh Aldin is just like no she's not and uh or no I'm sorry it's Master Khan my bad Khan is is like no she's not and uh she's like go to hell and uh so he Khan then says I'm sick of your I'm sick of your failures and says you're going to betray me and uh, the guy's like no no I'm loyal and he's like you misunderstand this has already happened the the documents showing that you've betrayed me have already been planted and he's like and now all that remains is your punishment so he has him ripped apart by cats uh, in front of Colleen. So we go back to Danny's memory. Uh, which, and Danny is like thinking about how so he found uh, Connell sneaking out of Kunlun. He's like, hey, what the fuck are you doing? Um... Connell's just like we're in love and I refuse to stay here and be put to death for what shouldn't be a crime um Danny is then attacked by Miranda we come back to the present where Misty and Raphael are talking about uh the um the documents that uh well first it's the so doctor and he's like Iron Fist hasn't... Oh, yeah. Ha, yeah, I mean, whatever. But, yeah. First, it's the Doctor, and Iron Fist hasn't left uh, his side... Or... Professor Wing's side at all. Misty... Yeah. Scarfy shows up and tells Misty that he's got... A lead... Um, on where... Colleen is, which is the planted evidence for, mentioned before earlier. Uh, it's in... The meeting's in London. You gotta go there. Uh, and she... Scarfy makes some mention about her past as a cop, which really messes Misty up. And uh, she squeezes a railing, a concrete barrier so hard that it cracks. Um, And we cut away immediately after that. And it's just like, well, what? But like, yeah, we know. But if you know who Misty Knight is, you know what's going on. Right. Uh, So we cut back to the memory Danny proceeds to um, go after Connell and Miranda. 
Uh, he passes out and wakes up in this forest that's in the mists outside of Kunlun. Um, he comes to and he's surrounded by the Hill Three, who are plant creatures, um, and that were the dominant life forms before Kunlun was built. They hate the people of Kunlun who attacked them and uh, paved over part of their home to build Kunlun. And Danny's like, no, that's not um, the... That's not, that's not true. And they're like, shut up. You don't know what the fuck you're talking about. And uh, so they're angry that the forests have allowed... Danny and these other two people to enter them. So they have the they have Connell and Miranda in these pods um that will make them one with the Hill Three. Um and they have one for Danny. Danny refuses and attacks, but he gets stung and passes out. Um as he's passing out, he hears Miranda calling him for help, and she calls him brother. Um, he wakes up. They're all gone. He's outside the walls of Kunlun and comes back in. Uh, it's at this point Misty comes in, and she's like, we've got a lead in London. Let's go. Uh, Danny's like, Lee will survive now, whatever. Uh, blah, blah, blah. So the Miranda thing. Uh, so Wendell Rand came to Kunlun as a young man, was taken in and basically adopted by the leader of Kunlun. Yeah. He then fell in love with a woman and they had a daughter, Miranda. This other dude was jealous and caused the woman and her daughter to have to leave Kunlun uh, and Wendell goes through the rights to become the Iron Fist, but then is just like, nah, and leaves. And that's when he then goes out, meets Danny's mother, gets married, has a kid, and then tries to come back. Yeah. So Miranda is his half-sister. She will show up down the line. Um. So, yeah. Iron Fist number three is uh, colored by Don Warfield, lettered by Dave Hunt and Gaspar Saladino. They are arriving in London when their plane is attacked by this dude, the Ravager. Uh, Danny changes into his Iron Fist costume. Misty saves this little girl, uh, but is then attacked by the Ravager um, and injured. Uh... And it's at this point that we see Misty's arm damaged and we find out that she has a bionic prosthetic. Um, the Ravager gets away after their fight. Uh, Danny changes back into his civvies and uh, but then like Scotland Yard gets involved. Um, Iron Fist is blamed in addition to Ravager, yeah. because no one knows what his deal is in all of this. So they're like, well, he was there. Clearly, he must be working with the guy. Um, 
Danny visits Misty in the hospital, sees the little girl as she's going into surgery. Um, and uh, he's just like, man, this is this is some crazy shit. I need to do something about this. Misty is a- angry and adamant that they have to go after Colleen. He's like, yeah, she's um, like, you don't get to choose, man. We came here for a reason. You get, you have to follow up on that, even if I'm supposed to stay in bed. You have to go. And he's like, right. I, I don't know what I'm going to do. And then he leaves. And as he's leaving, he sees the little girl. She's died in surgery, and he's generally just walks among the devastation and is like i can't i can't not do something about this so he makes his decision um i actually kind of like the moments no yeah this is this is because up until now danny has kind of just done things that directly affect him which is to say the Meacham stuff, and then, right. of course, now he's he's been um, dealing with Colleen's disappearance. But by and large, it's always been stuff that directly affects him personally. Right. This is the first time that we see Danny surrounded by uh, the actions of someone else and being like, no, I need to do something about this. I'm in a position to do it, right. and it would be wrong of me not to. Right. Um, so he goes back to the crash site and uses uh, his his skills as Iron Fist to track Ravager's footprints. Um, he follows the footprints to this office tower. Um, well, it's the general post post office building in London. It's right, pretty big and cool. Yeah, um, it's the um, if you've seen. V for Vendetta, it's the building where all the broadcasting is going out of. Right. Uh, So, Ravager is there, and uh, Danny bursts in on him, and Ravager's like, what? What are you doing here? Um, There's a battle during which Ravager's armor is... So, first, Danny uses... So Danny first crushes the um, blasters on his wrists, uh, which Ravager is just like, no, now the power has no outlet. Um, And then he smashes the chest. um, And it's at this point that Ravager then pulls off the armor. And it turns out he is Radeon, who first appeared in Marvel 2-in-1 number 9. Um, there's, there's press coverage outside. Suddenly there's an explosion, which is witnessed by Misty in her hotel room. So that brings us to our last issue of the week, which is Iron Fist number four, colored by Janice Cohen and lettered by John Costanza. Um, they, they battle. Um, there were, of course, the continuing explosions, uh, leading up to a big one. Uh, and Joy and Ward Meacham are watching this and they're just like, that's it for Iron Fist. Fuck him, I guess. And Steel Serpent is there, who we didn't really cover it. He first appeared in Iron Fist number one, um, making a phone call to the Meachams. 
now he is actually in their employ. Um, but he's there and he says, no, Iron Fist survived. Yeah, and they're I like, did not remember where the hell Steel Serpent came from. I was like, he's yeah. just here. And they never, like, address him by name either. No, they they don't. Um, he, like I said, he appeared briefly in Iron Fist number one, uh, making a phone call to them. Yeah. And then this is his second appearance. He is just like, no, Iron Fist is still alive. And the war... The Meachams are just like, okay, whatever. And he's like, no, seriously. Um, so sure enough, in the ru- in the rubble, Iron Fist is still alive, but he's not doing well. Oh, no, uh, he is all the way fucked up. Yeah, and dying. Yeah. Um, but then he, uh, he remembers the teachings uh, of um, UT... And uh, and thinks about his mother, and he's just like, she didn't give up. She fought through and saved my life at the cost of her own, and I would hardly be paying her back if I were to just allow myself to die. So he, uses, he channels his chi uh, to heal himself, even though it's excruciating. Right. Um, but he gets back up, and then... This TV flickers on, and it's the video diary of Henri Sorel. Uh, And we find out he was working on a cure for radiation poisoning. And in the course of it, we wound up... It wound up that there were thugs hired by the Meachams to uh, acquire it. You basically wind up with an Ant-Man beast situation where he then uses it, or he winds up being exposed to it himself, uh, and starts becoming Radeon. Um, so it's then that Iron Fist realizes, you know, he was in the building trying to cure himself when he came in and kind of fucked it up. So, uh... He goes after Radeon and manages to trick him into the path of this device that Sorel had built, um, thus turning it on. And uh, it turns him back into Sorel. Sorel uh, is like, thank you so much. Thank you for, thank you for doing this. Um, I felt myself becoming something I didn't want to be. And, uh, it's kind of, it's kind of hard to tell. I at first thought he died. Same. At this point. Um, but I guess he just passed out. So, but yeah, um, like I said, I, I had not really been, uh, super into the Iron Fist stuff prior to this, simply because, yeah, Danny's been incredibly self-involved in all of this. And, you know, it was hard to see how we went from, okay, he he's kind of gotten over the vengeance kick, but he's still not really a hero. He's just kind of not, not sure what he's doing. And uh, this is the first time where we get any indication that Iron Fist could be anything other than uh, a rich living weapon. 
So well, and also it was difficult when it was difficult to care about Iron Fist too much when um, Shang Chi was so much better, and they were kind of doing the same thing. Only Shang Chi was doing it better. Master of Kung Fu was a better book. Uh, Now that Master of Kung Fu is kind of doing a wane, yeah, it's doing a bit of a wane at the moment, and uh, but. It's easier to see how Iron Fist could be good. Yeah, I I'm curious to know um, exactly when they lost the rights to uh, Fu Manchu and why it is that. Um, White is that he I'm wondering if maybe the rights have run out um I think the last two issues we read did still say featuring characters created by Sax Romer so yeah I don't know if they've run I'm out just, yet well that makes sense because it's not just Fu Manchu it'd be Nayland Smith as well Smith right? and yeah and Petrie um so yeah I I don't know um, because the I don't know whatever um, I'm just I'm curious as to as to why they're making such an effort to move away from the Fu Manchu stuff other than just meh um but yeah anyway top five top five the watcher's guides top five top five uh so number five is the kill raven connection because that was just neat to see like how uh Vance Astro laid that out, laid out that timeline to include them. Um, and I don't know. I thought it was neat. Uh, yeah. It's always kind of cool to see the future Guardians of the Galaxy, but also like to to specifically lay that out is really neat. Um, number four is because saving your own world builds character is essentially what Doctor Strange boils that down to. Like, everybody else is like, we just left. What the hell? What the shit, man? And he's like, yeah, but there was a reason. Um, I'll let Mr. Norris tell you. Uh, Number three, Iron Fist, heal thyself. Because that sequence is actually pretty cool. Um, where he uses the Iron Fist, he gathers the power of the Iron Fist into one section of his body and then just rolls it over himself to do the healing and how much it hurts. Um, I don't know. I thought it was neat. Uh, number one is, or not number one, number two is the Jane Sif lightning panels because I thought those was just a super cool sequence. Um, and then number one is uh, Danny's choice with between 
going after Colleen or staying and fighting the Ravager and uh, deciding to stay. Um, it was a good character building moment and it made me like him more um, even though I think I would have been okay if he would have chosen I would have been okay if he would have chosen to go after Colleen I would have been like yeah that's because it still fits within his character it's just like I like this better I like this answer better so mm. that's what I got okay uh, well number five uh, I like Shing Chi's reaction to Tico seemingly being a giant bitch uh, and then him finding out that he had it all wrong. Uh, so yeah, number four is uh, the realization as we've read these that Kunlun is kind of fucked up um, because I'd always in my head it it had always been kind of analogous to uh Nanda Parbat in DC sure um and as we as we read these issues and see exactly how fucked up Kun Lun is um and most specifically the fact that it's it's history is built upon the bloodshed of an indigenous race and things like that you know uh perfect things are boring and so finding out this stuff about Kunlun is has made me more invested in this I guess um so yeah um number three is uh the while I generally liked the entire story about um, the Guardians, the the layers that were added to that world, both by Vance Astro and in in learning more about the Badoon, uh, really made it come much more alive than it had been previously. Um, and I'm not sure why, you know, it's one of those things like reading these, reading these before when I was just like, Guardians of the Galaxy, okay, let's check it out. I didn't get into it. This was the point where I'm just like, ugh, okay. But by the same token, I think at the time it was the Defenders were involved and I had not yet gotten into the defenders to the extent that I have now. Sure. So that may have been part of it, but I it's really weird how things that used to turn me off are now I'm I'm turning around on. Uh number 2 is Iron Fist. Like you said his decision to stop Ravager. He's one of those characters that I have often felt he was kind of shoved down my throat by Brian Michael Bendis and others, uh, and that he's a character I never liked. Um, but uh, while I am not yet to the point where I like him, I don't hate him as much because of this, because it is it is the point at which he stops being such a self-involved little prick. 
and starts realizing there's a larger world around him and that he's in a position to do something. So, yeah. Uh, and the number one is, that, yeah, that, that flash of Sif uh, was really well executed and uh, I really dug it. Yep. So. Uh, so that is that is it. Uh, next week we have several things. We get some more uh, Captain Marvel. Uh, we get the first Ca- Master of Kung Fu annual, uh, and we get into some Doctor Strange. So, uh, in the meantime, though, check us out uh, online. We've got our Facebook page that you can like. Uh, Follow us both individually or at Watcher's Guide MU. Uh, email us at watchersguide at gmail.com or visit our website at watchersguide.com. That is it for us, and have a marvelous week. Bye. Bye.